Welcome to Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another preseason edition of The Deciding Point, but our first preseason edition to actually happen in the 2024 calendar year. Why is that so exciting that it evokes a 15-minute note, excuse me, 15-second note to start today's podcast? It's because it means we're less than two weeks away from the start of another college tennis season. And as I have said on every podcast we have done in the buildup to this new year, I know I speak for all of us when I say, can we just roll the balls out and play some tennis already? Yeah, we can offer you predictions. We can try to break down all of these teams, and we will continue to do that here on today's show. But more than anything, we want to watch some tennis. We want to see what these lineups look like. We want to know who the best teams are in the country are here in this new season. Of course, on today's show, we believe we're going to be speaking about one of those teams, a team we see as number four in our preseason rankings. Of course, a team you all know best as the back-to-back defending men's national indoor champions. Of course, I'm referring to the TCU Horned Frogs, who will be the topic of of today's podcast and joining me to both talk TCU and help ring in the new year here on this Great Shot podcast feed is a man who is joining me now for a fifth year. That's right, Chris, year number five for you on this podcast. You're officially potty trained. You're officially starting kindergarten. Of course, what else are you officially doing? Well, of course, you're the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula. Your predictions never far from the listed UTR. You're now a lean, mean Michigan Wolverine. And of course, all of us are looking forward to seeing your website get rocking and rolling. I am talking to our dear friend, Chris Halliores, who joins me once again today. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year, my friend. Can you smell that college tennis in the air? Oh, I can smell it, Groskin. And by, by the look on your face and that it didn't even get a smirk, I think the unintended pun of potty trained went right over (laughs) your head. It was unintentional. Let the record show. I am now so funny, Chris. I don't even mean to do it. That's one of my things. I am officially potty trained. That's right. You would hope so. Five years in. Yes, you are pod trained here on this show. You know what to expect. You know what we intend to do here on this podcast. And as do all of you listeners, I imagine, who have tuned into all of our shows to date, in case this is your first, what we do on these podcasts is set the scene for these top 10 teams. We talk about their 2023 seasons. We talk about the roster, any changes it might have undergone throughout the course of the offseason. Then we look at the summers, the falls, who have been the standout performers for each roster, who needs to continue to stand out for these teams to reach their ceiling come the spring. And then, of course, we'll get into ceiling floor, some predictions for all of you listeners. And our topic here on today's show is number four TCU. And Chris, I said I didn't have have an opening tangent for you to start today's podcast. I lied, my friend. It turns out I thought of one in the five minutes since we've had that conversation. And here is going to be that opening tangent. 
you talk to enough coaches, you talk to enough players, you talk to enough, as I like to refer to them, as the college tennis intelligentsia out there in the buildup to this season. There are a lot of people who say it's a clear-cut top four, not a clear-cut top three, and we'll get into those three schools over our subsequent three episodes after today, but a lot of schools, a lot of excuse me, college tennis intelligentsia will say it's a clear-cut top four. That when you're starting to make a dividing line amongst tiers, you actually start that dividing line after number four TCU. We'll use that as our opening tangent, Chris. Do you believe that uh, that demarcation line is proper, that it is a clear-cut top four? A hundred percent. There's, uh, I, I think you're alluding to is it a top three or a top four? It's absolutely a top four. And I would go so far as to say, even though I've been on the record, I have no proof, no knowledge otherwise, as saying that I don't think Ferry's coming back for Stanford, who was our number five team. I if, do want to say I didn't see him on the trip to Chile or Colombia or wherever it is the team went right now. Peru, yeah. I think. Like, he wasn't in that photo. <laughs> if that if that was a fully loaded Stanford roster, I might even go so far as to say it could be five. But no, there's no way TCU is not in that discussion. They are absolutely in the clear-cut top four. Uh, it's just, you know, th- there are things that make them a little more vulnerable for sure than the other three teams that we'll get into as we as we start talking today. But that right there, to me, is the clear-cut sign that it's not a top four. Like, not to be disrespectful to this TCU program, who we're going to break down at length here in a moment, but that you have any questions about TCU. Like, I just think the top three are so unequivocal in the sense that you got no questions about any spot in their lineup. Singles, doubles, all of your top three teams, not only do you feel confident in all nine spots in the lineup, you pretty much know the commodities. They're they're known qualities in each of those teams as well. And I guess as we look at this TCU team, that's why I think it's a fascinating starting point for this discussion because, yeah, there are a lot of known commodities in the sense that we've seen these players either in the college tennis universe before or they have the junior pro pedigree to be expected to do well in a new college tennis season. But like, I mean, again, if no disrespect to Louis Maxted, Tomas Jirasek, who we both know can be elite players, I still think it's a prove it season for those guys at five and six in the way our top three teams just will not have any prove it portions about them. And again, I guess we're we're really putting the cart ahead of the horse here, Chris, in terms of getting into our conversation. Hot start to number four TCU. It's a new year, folks. And again, I have no problem with them being at number four. They were in my preseason number four. In fact, I think this is the one team across the board in our rankings. I believe everyone had them at number four, all five of our voters. Let me see. One, no, two. One, no, one, one did person, not. Yes, one had Stanford above them. But, you know, again, four voters had TCU at four. The other one had them at five. So there's a pretty clear-cut consensus that this is the fourth best team. I just think I would put them on their own tier. Like, I think they would be this solo tier one and a half or tier two team. I don't know if I'd quite give them the boost into tier number one. 
But you can make that argument for TCU as we progress throughout the course of this podcast. As again, we break down all aspects of this Horn Frog program. First and foremost, we do so by looking back at their 2023 and again, providing broader context for this TCU program. And I think there's no denying that the moment David Roditi stepped on campus as the head coach of this TCU program, they just took a, a, a leap. I don't think anyone would call them a blue blood in college tennis, but certainly they feel like the definition of new blood in the college tennis world ever since coach Roditi took over. And by the way, Chris, this team has finished top 10 in eight consecutive seasons. Let me say that again. Eight consecutive seasons from 2015. Excuse me. Good math, Alex. Nine consecutive seasons. I didn't include their 2023. 2015, they finished fourth. That was their first top 10 finish under Coach Roditi. Since then, let's go through the finishes. Fourth, third, eighth, ninth, tenth, seventh, fifth, third, fourth. If that's not an ascension to blue blood status, I don't know what more you need from this TCU program. A program that, again, last year delivered their second national indoor championship in program history. A team that was able to reach the final four of the NCAA tournament as the number two overall seed. And the fact that this team earned 26 victories, the most victories in a single season for a TCU Horned Frog squad since the 1984 campaign. Again, according to the TCU website, this is a direct quote off of David Roditi's page. The Horned Frogs enjoyed the greatest season in the 49-year history of TCU men's tennis in 2023 under Coach Roditi's watch. I mean, again, broader context of where this program is compared to where it was when Coach Roditi took over in 2010, there's just no denying. This team has risen up the ranks. This is one I think collectively us college tennis intelligentsia all refer to as a team. When you're making your lists preseason, you got to go look. What is Coach Roditi? What is Coach Bowen? What are they cooking up over in Fort Worth? Because certainly a lot of big college tennis matches have run through there over the last few seasons, and yet, Christopher Halioris, and yet, when I look back at their 2023 campaign, a campaign that saw them go 26-3 and overall on the year, a campaign that saw them lose again to Texas, to Texas, and to Ohio State, a team that was number one from pretty much start to finish during the regular season, and a team that made the NCAA Finals. Some scholars would argue that last season was an underperformance for the Horned Frogs. Not in the sense that they were bad, but in the sense that they had an unequivocal goal. They had an unequivocal ceiling. It was win a national championship, and they were unable to do it. So again... All of that context had to be provided. If you are looking big picture, this is a program on the rise. Give Coach Roditi, give Coach Bowen the raises they deserve, TCU Athletic Department. Lock them down for the future because if Coach Roditi or Coach Bowen ever wanted a different job, they could have it tomorrow. And yet I still think this team underperformed. I think if we play that NCAA tournament 100 times, they actually end up with the most titles of anyone last season. And... Sadly, the scenario we saw played out, they got knocked out in the semifinals, knocked out 4-0, by the way, by Ohio State. That's a lot of words there 
Chris Alioris. And so I ask you, as you look back at 2023, as you look at where this TCU program now is, how do you assess last season? Overperformance, underperformance, just right. Yeah, I don't, I, I would, I know where you're going with that. And I, I agree with the sentiment, but I wouldn't call it an underperformance. I would say it was just right. But as I think we can say, about the other teams that we're going to talk about, including TCU leading up to our to our number one, wherever they may fall, that everybody except for Virginia probably felt disappointed because every one of them expected that was there. They expected to be able to go down to Orlando and win a national championship and coming away with anything less was going to be a disappointment. But I don't think that you can take, you know, an aggregate of a season where they lose three matches uh, and lose in the semifinals of the NCAA tournament as an underperformance. That They didn't underperform. They did exactly what we thought they were going to do. They were right there in the semifinals of the NCAA tournament. They just weren't able to win it. So I would call it a disappointment for the team, but about right from, I think, what we expected from them. You're not wrong. Like, look... We are Team Pro National Indoor Championship. I still call that a national championship. And for the last two years, this TCU program has come home with a national championship. There has been a reason for the TCU basketball program to honor the Horn Frogs at the halftime of games in back-to-back seasons. This is a team that, again, has continued to compete for regular season conference championships. This is a team that went and won the Big 12 tournament championship last season. Like, they brought home trophies. They brought home hardware. I agree. To hold someone to the standard of national championship or bust is the most ridiculous standard to hold any program to. And in that sense, of course, they nailed last season. But capital B but here, Chris, you had Fumba, you had Jong in their fifth years on the job, two of the most trusted hands we saw in all of college tennis. And yeah, Fumba dealt with some serious injuries down the season's home stretch, but to watch him serve at times in Lake Nona. Do you remember when he was up big on Ethan Quinn and almost won that NCAA or knocked out the NCAA singles champion early in the event, Chris? I certainly do. And just like... There's no doubt, and we don't have to relitigate the Ohio State match. I'm sure Coach Roditi, Coach Bowen, they've tried to burn the tape. They don't ever want to have to think about that match and everything that seemed to go against them. Just It just felt like one after another. Just all broke Ohio State's way in that semifinal. But this team should have won a national championship last year. I'm just going to come out and say it. They should have. They were the best team on paper. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, again, after watching them grind out that Michigan quarterfinal win, that was a real grind. They dropped the doubles. It was like five all in every first set of that quarterfinal match. And just about all of those five alls, except for Stylers, went the way of the Horned Frogs. To see them play that match in that fashion and then just be dead. Like, they just were physically dead in that Ohio State semifinal. And even still then, a couple of things here and there go against them. Like, there's definitely some hunger. I guess, like, there has to be some lingering disappointment. There has to be some anger amongst this squad because I do think my basic premise, Chris, of if you play 100 times the NCAA championship last year, you don't do you think this team, not a majority, but I think they come out with the plurality of the titles. Like, I guess that would be the final point in relitigating 2023 is, to Coach Roditi's credit, 
he had the national championship team. And I guess every coach has to lose. You know, look at the Brian Boland 2011 Virginia team. That's a national championship winning team that you wonder that they have to lose for the 2013 squad to ultimately break through. Again, maybe Texas squad. Did they have to lose last year? The Buckeye squad. Did they have to lose last season to break through ultimately this season? I guess the point I'm trying to make now is TCU's done everything but win the big one. Like, they are now in that program status. UNC's now won their title on the women's side, and their spot is now taken by TCU in that proverbial next up to win a national championship hunt. Yeah, I, I don't even know that I I would go that far. I mean, I think they were, they were there. I think they had just as much acclaim to a shot at winning it as anybody else. And if you played it a hundred times, they'd probably come away somewhere right in the vicinity of 25 of them. Do I think they get more than anybody else? No, I don't think so. Look, we saw that they had a couple, you know, a couple losses to Texas, who's one of those teams. Uh, we saw what Virginia did uh, with those guys, just their prime time when it matters, they're there. I don't know how you come away and say, ah, they'd have won more than those teams. I think they're all just, I mean, those teams were all so even. Obviously, they were much more even than a 4-0 loss to Ohio State. And and a fair amount of that had to do, you know, with your your favorite talking about the conditions (laughs) that (laughs) that nobody could do anything about in Orlando. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, they were, they were just as much one of the four teams that could win it as any of the others. And, They just didn't get there. Yeah, fair enough. And again, apologies for TCU fans who heard that and just had a flashback and felt that wound rip wide open once again after, you know, spending these past few months trying to suppress that memory. But all I'm trying to say is, and now here's where we go, glass half full, is this team knows what elite of the elite looks like. This team knows what being in a national championship hunt feels like. And as you look at the returners, the new additions to this roster as we assess it heading into 2024, you know, why they are by clear-cut top four team, why they are clearly number four for me is you just can't deny the talent, the experience they bring back up top. And I will tell you what, if anyone is going to have a bounce back you season after the way he ended last year, I do think Jake Fernley is the guy to point to. I think he's the guy who could be in the guy discussion at the end of this year, Chris, that we didn't consider enough in preseason play because Jake Fernley was excellent last season, ascending to the number one spot uh, for the Horned Frogs. And, you know, again, you look at the record. Unfortunately, I don't see the updated statistics on the TCU page. I'll, I'll tell you what, TCU right now, you, if you go to the individual player records, you can find those things. But perhaps if you're TCU, that's the missing piece to a national championship is get that website stats updated, folks. I know how good your SIDs are. Like, you guys got the goods to put all this together, but... I mean, he took an unequivocal leap. 43 and 14 combined overall record last season, 26 and 10 in singles, 17 and 4 in doubles, led TCU in total victories as well as singles victories, and did it all at the top spot. And look, the first few seasons, Fernley was injured, right? He was out, back and forth, in and out of different spots of the lineup. Last season felt like the first healthy season for Fernley, and Man, like, 
I just see a world where he comes out of the gates firing because obviously he's a guy who had a really good pro summer. He had a really good pro fall, worked his way up to number 645 in the rankings, made a couple of 25K titles, uh, finals, won a 25K title as well. Had a stretch where he went final, first round loss to Val Vachero. Um, anyway, went final, title, semifinal, final in four out of six futures events throughout the summer and fall to end the year. And so, I mean, it starts up top there, but that core four that they bring back of Fernley, JPJ, who of course made the semifinals, I believe, if not finals of the ITA All-Americans. It's all kind of blended in my head now at this point, but JPJ seeming to find his footing. Seb Gorsny, can the chosen one take another step forward? And then Obviously, one of our breakout stars, Pedro Vivez, had his best fall, period, as a college player. Let's just start with that core four, Chris. Of that group, who excites you the most? What do you think of them relative to the competition, right? That's where it starts. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's all interesting because, like you said, I think Vivez is the one that has, you know, yes, Fernley was injured a lot early in his career. Great year last year. He's clearly the number one player on this team. I mean, he he's their guy. And as long as he can can stick with it and, and is healthy, I was a little worried coming up until actually right until this week, the last tournament he played was the 25K in Columbus where after two games, he retired mm-hmm. uh, against Lerner Tien. And so hadn't seen him since. You had to start wondering is he okay? And this week he's back playing a 25 K got his first match in. So, and won. so yes, he is, he's obviously healthy and playing again. So that's good news for them. He's the number one guy, but Vivas, like you said, big jump there. He's going to be able to have to prove that he can actually play, you know, a number two spot. If he's going to be, I mean, he looks with every, everything he did over the summer and fall looks like he should be, the guy filling in in that two slot for them. Is it real? you know, is it going to be him? Ah, that, that's another question, but I think he's the guy that could be there. Obviously, you've got JPJ still, so you can play JPJ two, Vivas three, and then you've got Gorsny, but all four of those, that's a rock solid top four guys. I have zero questions, you know, other than the standard health arguments. And we just always seem to have a little more here because somebody always seems to have an injury lingering, but yeah, that top four is as good as anybody. I will put those four up against any other four in the country. Nine and four overall in the fall was Vivez, certainly one of your breakouts and, you know, wins the doubles regional in Texas, makes the singles final as well, gets wins over Zambor Veltz, P.Y. Bailey, Colton Smith, Samir Banerjee, very good fall. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about a really good fall for Vivez, who, by the way, finds himself as the second highest ranked Horned Frog coming out of the fall in the ITA rankings. His 9-4 record good enough to get him up to number 14 in the ITA preseason rankings. But, you know, again, he played college events, firmly didn't. Firmly this fall still got wins over Shinsuke Matsui, got a win over Joe Monday. Got a win over both, obviously, standouts for Tennessee. Got a win over Cornell's Redu Popaway. Popaway, one of the breakout players of the fall. A guy I think we all have high expectations for coming into this season. Like, to your, to that point, they have multiple guys putting up top two wins results. And by the way, like, 
JPJ may have been more impressive than all of them. You look for Jack Pennington Jones, ranked three in the country, 12 and three in the fall. It says 12 and four now overall when I clicked on it. But shout out to the ITA website for providing this information so quickly. JPJ beats Fonder Schulenberg twice. JPJ also gets wins over Maroney, over Bernard, over Anthrop. Like, they got options to choose from, and we haven't even discussed the chosen one yet, which, by the way, for those that don't remember, and I've, I've looked for the tweet. I can't find it. I swear to God, TCU, who does the best job assigning nicknames and having fun with this, they do better than anyone we have in college tennis. I swear to God, they tweeted something out calling Gorsney the chosen one last year. And in my head, that's just what I have to call him now. He will be the chosen one moving forward. Like, that he was pretty definitively the number four guy coming out of the fall, that's crazy. Like, if Seb Gorsney's your four, you're feeling really good about life coming out of a, a freshman season where Gorsney was just about as good as any freshman we had in the country. And we'll talk about his results more specifically. But you you uh, you made a, a note right there that I, I'm curious about. Do you think Vivez is that number two guy going, coming into the spring? Like, is that what? Because you kind of said, can he make that jump to two? I never had him as the that he's putting forward number two results is great, but that's I mean, not he where made, I had him. Yeah, I mean, he's put up results that would say he could actually do that. Look, he made back to back 25k finals in June. Um, <clears throat> he had just an outstanding summer. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be an interesting uh, it's going to be an interesting decision, some of which, you know, may or may not be predicated on what the you know, I you always have as a coach, the things that you have to take into account, like what are these guys, you know, how are the players going to take it if I play somebody at, you know, one verse three or two versus three? And is, you know, is JPJ, did he do the pro thing and he's done and he's playing college and then he's going into the business world or, you know, do either one of these guys really like, no, I need to be playing that competition at two to get my game ready for the next level. So maybe there's some of that, but I, I think all coach Rodidi and coach Bowen are worried about is, is what do we got to do to win and coach Foreman for that matter. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I, I think it's a legitimate battle between JPJ and, and Vivas for that that two spot and you know i wouldn't say that gorsney doesn't have a shot i but i honestly don't think they're going to play him all the way up at two uh but yeah i i do think that vivas has a has an argument now that he gets to be in that conversation for that spot and and it's going to be interesting to see that play out although you would think coming in based on where the guys were playing last year etc etc that jpj would be sort of the incumbent and he would have to be knocked off for those unfamiliar, JPJ, Jack Pennington Jones now entering his sophomore season, went nine and three in doubles, eight and four in singles, didn't get eligible really until the national indoor championships last year. And look, he was the first to admit, like, it took me some time to find my footing. It took him some time to get accustomed to the no ad format. It took him some time just to be like, hey, this is what practice at college tennis looks like. This is what it means when you get to practice with your teammates now that you are officially eligible. And no one took a bigger leap. Like, right out of the way in the fall, ITA National Fall Championship singles finalist. First to do that uh, since Paul Robinson in 1960, uh, 1996 excuse me, for the Horned Frogs. And just, like, I mean, I said this in the moment. I'll say it again. Of every interview I've done since the ending of last season, 
No one impressed me more than the interview I did with Jack Pennington Jones after he won, I think it was his quarterfinal match at Fall Nats. You could just hear in his voice like, yeah, last season sucked for me. I am so much better than the results you put forward. And you could just see how much he cared to be better, to be better not just for himself, but to be better for his teammates and just taking it upon himself to elevate the level that I think we all anticipated coming out of him uh, to start because this is a guy who's been top 500 in the world. This is a guy who was a very highly touted junior prior to coming to college. And like the luxury of knowing that guy's not your number one, the luxury of saying, hey, that because I do think Fernley's earned the benefit of the doubt to keep that spot and be that number one guy unless something, you know, injury related happens. That would be the conversation to get back to our opening tangent of why it is a four team tier four and not a three team tier four. Because if Jack Pennington Jones is your two, if a Pedro Vivez who looked elite, not good, elite during the fall. Again, another guy who was a top 600 ranked pro. Another guy who's also, by the way, at this point, played over, you know, 25, 30 career dual matches in his season. And by the way, we could have relitigated this in 2023, but talk about another chip on the shoulder guy. Like that's maybe what I keep coming back to for this TCU team is a team that had maybe their best season in program history last year that every guy you can point to a chip on the shoulder thing. For Fernley, it's, hey, I'm not just good. I am elite of the elite. I'm in the guy conversation. For JPJ, it's, oh, you didn't think I was as good as advertised my sophomore season? Well, uh, my freshman season? Well, watch what I did in the fall of year number two. For a Pedro Vivez more than anyone else, how the f*** he didn't play last year? This is not meant to be a criticism of Coach Roditi, Coach Bowen, or even Pedro, but like, he wasn't playing in the in, come the end of the season. Like he wasn't the surefire six, the surefire five. That there was some doubt that him, like that he didn't always belong in that singles lineup. And some of that may have been injury related things we don't know about. But I could see a year where Vivez rips off a twenty and five campaign. I could see a year where the Pedro Vivez who clinched the national indoor championship in twenty twenty two. We get that stone cold killer match in, match out at the number three spot, Chris. And then again, like Gorsney's your four? And it's pretty clear cut here that the sophomore who is one or two in his recruiting class coming in last year who went 17 and 2 17 and 2 in singles play last year Chris that that's your four like this is where again I can get talked into both sides of the is it a three team or a four team tier one tier because I'll put that top four up against any top four historically like not just this season's top four I'm saying this is a top four that will age that, 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 that could compete across decades. That could span time. Like, I would like to watch this top four play Jenkins, Damajan, Frank, and a Shane. And just like, let's roll the balls out. Let's see what it looks like. I'd like to see this top four play Goyo, Hrisokos, Mansuri, and the stack of Gajev at four. No, I'm just kidding. Barbots are at four. Like, this gotcha. top... Yeah, do you like that? that that's, a little... that's, a, that's a six. Come on. Yeah, no, that was just to make sure you were still paying attention here, Chris. But that's what I'm saying is... The case for, and we're looking at this returning roster, right? The case for TCU being an unequivocal fourth team in tier one is this top four has to be elite. Like I'm talking 80 and 12 overall in the season in dual match play. Like they all rack up somewhere between 18 and 22 wins and none of them exceed, you know, four 
losses maybe in dual match play. And even then, like, four losses might mean you lose in another NCAA semifinal. But that's how good this top four could be, right? Some of this is just a game of math. And this, this they could be an 80 and 12 top four. Could be. I mean, I, I don't know that they have to be that good. I just know they're going to be, you know, they're going to, they're going to be go into matches expecting to go three and one, let's say in that, in that top four. And if they get three points out of the top four and all they have to do is find either doubles Max Dead or Jirasek. Uh, and I think in my mind, it's pretty unequivocally Max Dead and Jirasek in the five, six spot. They are very, you know, that, and that is, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the things that maybe, you know, where they might be vulnerable is, they they're a six team deep team yeah. six and a half maybe as we'll get into with you know six maybe player a, six player team i think you said six team team deep si- uh, uh, six, yeah, yeah, yeah six. six player deep team but yeah yeah maybe duncan chan can find a little playing time but he would have to really step it up but they they did not they don't have anything coming in that's going to be in the lineup you know out of right out of the gate so that's that's the vulnerability for the team is they can't afford an injury. They can't afford for Jake Fernley to get hurt again. They can't afford for any of these guys to go down. But with the six they have, if those six are there, I have, I mean, I feel great. The top four is tremendous. Can they get one of Maxted or Jirasek? Absolutely. Maxted's had a, had a good run here lately too. He's going to, I think he's going to be super solid five. I'm assuming that's where he'll be or doubles. I mean, that yeah, it's they're not they're going to be a very tough out. Well, that's the most confounding part as we look again at this team, and we'll talk about their freshmen in a moment. All due respect to uh, Luke Swan, who seems by all accounts like a really nice kid, a really smart kid. I feel like every other week we're getting a TCU tweet about some other academic achievement of Luke Swan. But that's where the questions are from a returning standpoint is can Maxted, can Jirasek step up and be the guys we think we've seen uh, throughout the course of their time? Like they've each had flashes. You look for a Louis Maxted. This is a guy who even as a freshman, like pretty solid in dual match play last year, he went 11 and one in singles. Of course, he's been a doubles contributor for two years now. And, you know, he's not going to have the landlord at his side anymore, but that he and Derek Swan did have some, uh, not Swan, not Derek Swan, excuse me, Derek Chan, uh, Chan had some success in doubles. It speaks to maybe Louie was more than his half of the equation as well on the doubles court last year. You know, you're going to get that from him. Certainly the question is, again, can he be a little bit more consistent? in singles this next season. Last year, that 11-1 dual match play record, I think that's a little bit misleading. Again, there were a lot of matches where, you know, they they did have that injury or they pulled the Famba or whatever it may be. And that's when we got to see Max that in those advantageous matchups where he was able to have so much success. You know, on the other side for Tomas Jirasek, here's a fifth year who's seen a little bit of everything. And look, even though it is his fifth year, you look at the dual match record for him, 26 and 14 overall, only 40 registered results in dual match play feels a little bit low. But, you know, we know what we're going to get, right, out of Tomas Jirasek. You know what you're going to get with that forehand and how he's going to move you around the court. You know physically he is always and mentally he is always going to be in that fight. And I actually do think 
profile-wise, Tomas Jiracek is a really good six. Like, especially if this is a year we're at six, he's going to get more match rhythm. These last two years, was it going to be him? Was it going to be Max Stead? Was it going to be Vivez? There was always some shuffling in and out of the lineup. And it would be funny because you'd talk to Coach Rodidi or Coach Bowen, and they'd be the first ones to say, Alex, do you... Do you want to pick our lineup today? Chris, can you give me a suggestion what we play and what order it looks like? Because they were quite blunt. And yeah, there was a lot of parody in the lineup. We got no idea who the six should be. Let's play the guy that's hot. That sounds like a blessing. Sometimes it's a burden. And so I actually, there's part of me that wonders with more consistent match play, with more certainty that they will be in the lineup, how big of a benefit might that be for the confidence and the level we see out of Max Stead and Jirasek? Surface value, Chris. How do you feel about those two at five and six? I mean, I, I feel really good. Look, Jirasek, like you said, he hasn't gotten a consistent playing time, uh, you know, at, at that spot. So he didn't play a lot last year for sure. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what is what he was on the year, but he probably paid five or 10 to matches, you know, in, in dual matches because he was rotating in with, like you said, with Vivez and with, and with Max dead in that sixth spot for the most part. Uh, and maybe, maybe when they played some of the, you know, the, the lower caliber teams, if you will, maybe he got some time, but uh, I don't think there's any doubt. He's the he's in the lineup. He's the guy that's got to be played. Assuming he's healthy, he's playing six, and he knows it's on him this year. And he's very capable. We've seen him, like you mentioned. I mean, when he's when he's got the forehand working, he's got weapons. Uh, and uh, for those kinds of guys, a lot of it is confidence. And if you're going out in a match feeling like, boy, I have to be able to win this match to be able to prove that I can stay in the lineup you start hitting balls the way that you wouldn't hit if you knew you were out there every day. And I think for him, knowing that he's the guy that's going to be out there every day, it may bring a little different uh, attitude for him. And if it, if that's at six, he should kill it at six. I mean, there is no reason he shouldn't kill it at six. It's two more guys to get back to this theme. Chip on the shoulder. Like, I'm going to be honest, Chris. It's uh, Before this podcast, I was in the... I think TCU's a tier below Ohio State. I, I don't put them in that. And, and obviously Virginia and Texas, which, spoiler alerts, there's our top three, folks. Uh, in some order, you'll have to wait and find out. I think everyone knows who three is going to be the real debate is who's number one. But, like, they're not bad options. You're right. Like, Louis Maxted hits the f*** out of the ball. Like, that is a guy who can go after the serve, who can go after the plus one, who has a very clear-cut uh, game plan that he wants to explore to beat opponents. And, like, I think I've talked myself into my own argument. Like, I want to see these guys with consistency get those reps, and actually, I think that'll be so beneficial for them. I think they will continue to improve throughout the course of the season. And, like... Between them, that's eight years of experience at five and six. That's about all you could ask for at the bottom of your line to have guys who have been through the ringer, who have seen it all, who have, you know, it's not that long ago that Louis Maxted was down 3-4, love 40 to Robert Cash at the number six single spot in the national indoor semifinal. And Robert Cash misses a forehand on top of the net. And I love you, Coach Crow. Drops a massive F-bomb as it happens because you could feel, oh my God, he didn't convert on this break. It might just slip away from him here. And Maxted managed to flip that match around. Like we have seen Louis Maxted come through in the clutch. Does Tomas Jiracek have the most physical weapons compared to maybe some of the peers he might play? 
you know, is it the most like in your face? Like, oh, I love that technique. It's Federer-esque on the forehand. It's picturesque, maybe like the max that ground strokes are. No, he does not have that. But is that just a dog? Like, who's got that dog in him? Who, like, I know is going to be like, all right, you are going to have to rip me off this court fingernail by fingernail, and it's going to take you two and a half hours to do it. That is who Tomas Jurasek is. He has that dog in him. So it's real options at five and six, and it's real options. Uh, I think of the doubles lineup as well, because yeah, you lose Jong. Yeah, you lose Famba. But Bevez and Gorsny are fucking good. Like, they are just very, very good. And I got no issues with, you know, again, if they're moving up to your number one spot, you're feeling pretty good about that duo heading into the season. And for what it's worth, you look right now, Vivez, Gorsny, after a 9-3 and three fall, they're ranked number seven in the preseason rankings. Honest to God, that might be selling them short when they find their rhythm. Then you get Jake Fernley and Louis Maxted just floating as options. And by the way, Maxted, who had some success with Duncan Chan, 9-5 and five overall. They're tied for 15th in the preseason rankings. Tomas Jirasek, Julian Alonso, only 2-2 two and two together, but for what it's worth, they are ranked number 58 in the preseason rankings. And then again, you've got a Jake Fernley as a piece just kind of floating there to be attached to some sort of doubles pairing. If you can find him the right partner. I mean, this is a guy who, along with Luke Fomba, they were a top five doubles team from start to finish last season. It's a very thin group when you talk about, again, returners and, you know, what that what's going to be required of that roster. But, like, if their six are healthy and if their six are fit, they have a pathway to four against anyone. They absolutely do. But you mentioned the other big vulnerability in this team. And I think that is doubles. Look, Mm -hmm. Jurasex played like a grand total of 11 doubles matches, I think, (laughs) at at TCU. He is not a doubles player. So that means, and and we just mentioned they're six deep. So if Jurasex not playing doubles, they need a guy like Duncan Chan. Somebody's got to step up that is a doubles player. I, and we just haven't seen enough of them yet to know, can Chan be the guy to fill in that spot in, in doubles? Can Alonzo be a guy in doubles? I don't. We just don't know enough about the freshmen to know if one of them is going to be a better doubles option than they are singles. I don't think any of those freshmen are cracking the singles lineup, but they're probably going to need one of them in doubles. That's really well said. And, you know, again, as you look at the summer, the fall breakout results, certainly we've talked about all of the returners. I think I would love to give Coach Roditi, Coach Bowen, truth serum. I would love to know the name of, like, were you targeting someone else? Whether it was a transfer, whether it was a freshman who ultimately didn't commit or committed elsewhere. Like, they do feel a piece short because not to be disrespectful to their three freshmen and nor Luke Swan. But again, they bring in three freshmen who are not. Like They don't have the pedigree of a JPJ, of a Gorsney, which was last year's recruiting class. They bring in three guys, Julian Alonso out of Bradenton, Florida, Duncan Chan, who we probably saw the most of out of Markham, Ontario, and then Kaj Quirinus, I 100% butchered that, the freshman out of Switzerland, who again, we just know perhaps least about of anyone. Chris, I know you do some research. I know you've looked at the UTRs. Talk to me about those freshmen, perhaps what we've seen from them in the fall, in the spring. Should we be expecting anything out of that group? Or, again, do we go back to our theme of maybe you'll see one of them in doubles, but other than that in singles, we know who the six are. 
I think it well, it leans to the latter, but I'll say Chan's got a shot uh, at making some waves in singles and maybe, you know, depending on what kind of shape and form Jirsek shows up in battling, you know, giving him a little battle for that sixth spot. Uh, I don't think either of the other two freshmen are going to see uh, any singles playing time for sure. They're going to need a year to develop and a year with, with you know, Coach Roditi and, and Bowen and and Foreman to to just to get their their game up to the level that the TCU program's at, frankly. I mean, they've got, you know, a couple of these kids, you know, one of them at least was a, was a five-star recruit, but the lineup they've got is like a blue chip level at plus lineup and you're just not cracking it there. And they, they just need another year. So I don't think we're going to see outside of Chan um, at an outside shot. We don't see any of these guys in, in singles, possibly in doubles. Yeah. There's always the chance for a January commit, right? There's always a chance for a late surprise. We're recording this Monday, January 1st. I'm going to give them to like, We'll say Monday, January 8th as the deadline of knowing that there's not going to be a January surprise because other than that, they're always scheming. They're always looking. But, yeah, I mean, to your point, the uh, for Derek to have uh, – Duncan, excuse me, Derek. For, uh, for Duncan to have the encouraging results that he did in the doubles court, it's a big deal for this team. And for what it's worth, he did go 15-9 overall across four tournaments – 11 and 6, obviously, in singles matches. He got wins. I'm looking at who he may have beaten in singles. Picked up a straight set second round victory over Creighton's Alejandro Gandini and Matthew Lathan. Nope, that's it. More doubles results. Down Baylor's Ethan Musa in three sets. We saw I mean, Musa play three, uh, play six for the Bears last year, but like. He, he lost 7 5 in the third to Lagayev, which is probably, probably one of, uh, you know, wasn't an ITA, but probably one of the better. Uh, results that I that I saw from him to tell me, okay, if you go seven five in the third with Lagaya, you're you're on the court, you're in the match, you know, you can you can play, um, but really nothing. There were there were no signature wins for sure uh, for him. So I think it's just even he probably needs that year in the program before he's going to be seeing a, a lot of playing time. I think as long as Jirasek's healthy, it's his job to lose. Well, so that would be the case then to go back to why are they not in tier number one unequivocally because that depth isn't quite there. You look at for, you know, again, pick a Bailey, pick a Braswell. You can exclude one Bailey brother and one Braswell brother from every Texas match, and Texas is still going to probably be favored to win that match. Similarly, is it, you know— Put on the refrigerator, call mom and dad. Hey, I found the the one options for Virginia. No, but if Graziani's not playing, like Hopper in a pinch at the number six single spot, like no, those that's are, not happening. No, no, no. But I'm saying like it, it's like not the like I would trust a James Hopper who at least has played college tennis before. I think more than I would trust a Duncan Chan to finish fill in at that number six spot. And so again, like. That would be the argument against even Stanford. Like, Rajesh might not play in their lineup. Like, Stanford's got some guys with 20-plus dual match experience who will be on the bench. That's probably the argument of excluding this team from that elite tier. And by the way, I looked up the Tomas Jirasek double stat because that was fascinating to me. He's got 11 registered doubles results in his career doubles match uh, doubles results in dual matches. I'm not saying there aren't unfinished sets on the board. He's one in two in his career 
in registered dual match doubles results. Now that speaks <laughs> to how good TCU's been at doubles in particular over these last two seasons, but he hasn't had a registered dual match doubles result, Chris, <laughs> since 2020-2021. That year, TC lost in the quarterfinals, right, in Orlando. That feels like a wow. lifetime ago uh, for that group. So, yeah, they got to find a sixth piece. There's no doubt about it, or a fifth piece even in doubles. But, no, I'm going to say sixth because Maxton and Chan gave me something to get excited about, right? And Vivez and Gorsny are back. You know Fernley's a doubles piece, but finding that sixth piece in the doubles lineup is going to be critical for this team if they hope to find their upside here this season, which I think— Well, that's a, that's a thing that, that I think we might see. Maybe we see, you know, Coach Rodidi and Bowen try to take advantage of— uh, which I, I've seen many times when you, especially when you've got teams that have five solid doubles players and they got to bring a freshman in is you take probably your most seasoned experienced guy, you pair him up with a freshman and you throw him at three. So can you imagine like Fernley and somebody at three dubs? Mm-hmm. I mean, he can drag you halfway to through half of your wins and Are you just sh- have to help. Are we sure to even as a freshman? What if it's Jirasek? Just straight yeah. up, like, hey, well, Tomas, we're gonna teach you how to do this. Yeah, yeah. Hit hit your forehand. Don't you don't <laughs> even have to come to the net. You're just staying back and and uh just you you get a forehand, you go for it. That's it. Uh-huh. I just I really hope there's a conversation we get to hear where if they are playing together, Jake goes, you know what Luke used to do, and Tomas <laughs> goes, dude. The guy's a foot taller than me. Like, I'm not Luke. I get we both have one-handers, but that's not the place to start this comparison, Jake. He used to hit a kick serve that bounced over their head on the backhand side. Can't you do that? Yeah, Tomas. Like, I called kick wide. Didn't you see my pinky? I said kick wide. He's like... Dude, I did hit a kick. He's like, yeah, but Luke's (laughs) kick used to kick. Um, And so, yeah, again, by the way, I can't emphasize this enough. And this is where doing these podcasts have become so hard for us, Chris. I love Tomas Jirasek. Talk about one of the kindest souls like we have in college tennis. Talk about a guy who just wants to be out there competing, right? Just wants to be out there fighting for his teammates. And that's why I'm willing to give him that benefit of the doubt. And that is why I've talked myself, even though it is a very much six-man roster, into, you know what? I'm wrong. It is a four-team tier one. I'm going to listen to the intelligentsia. I'm going to listen to the arguments that you've made. That said, I do think this is a fascinating question. Who's the MVP in the lineup, Chris, as you look for it? That most valuable or however you want to describe the V. I forget. Jay went a different direction. It wasn't – I think he went vulnerable or val- – I think he went vulnerable instead of valuable. I never formally defined what MVP means, so I'm going to go whatever direction you want to take. Who's the MVP this year? Um. Yeah, I I think for me it's it's probably got to be one of those – those five, six spots. Cause I just know the top four are so solid that they're going to get even, you know, I think two is a fairly important spot for them. Uh, but you could at the same time argue, ah, who cares? Cause one, three and four is probably they're strong and whoever they sacrifice it to that still probably wins 70% of their matches is, is a sacrifice. But, but I still think it's five, six. If, if they, if they come out of this, at and you know if we're going to say 5 6 let's just go ahead and call it 6 if they come out and they've got a you know a 70ish percent winning record in meaningful matches at 6 this team's in great uh 
you know, that's that's going to be the, I think, the difference maker for them. If they're getting that kind of, if it's just a 50-50 shot and they're going 500 against all their competition that they're, that are, you know, that, that are competition at their level, then it, it it's going to be a little bit tougher for them. They're hands down in, you know, semis and competing for a title if they're getting anything significantly above 500 out of that spot. It's a great argument. You're absolutely right. That's not where I'm going with my MVP discussion because, you know, I always like to zag You're going a doubles, bit. probably. No, it's, you're going doubles, probably. <laughs> uh, sorry. I actually, I actually, like, had no problem with you saying that. That would have been a bad guess. I'm going four. Like, you know who have we, we haven't talked about enough? A guy who once allegedly had a tweet about him calling him the chosen one. Like... You know I could do seven minutes on Gorsny always. I always got a hot seven on Seb. uh, Are we ready for my tangent now, Gresh? Okay. It's related here. Give me the tangent. Give me the tangent. All right. So first, so my big question, and and we should, we, you should ask Coach Rodini and Coach (laughs) Look. We we both walked directly up to them after that match against Ohio State last year in, in Orlando. And we saw that, I mean, they were just spent. They were absolutely beat. And they knew they just got beat up by the team and the conditions. Are they doing something different? Were, was it just a one-time thing? Or were they just, look, we had two matches with two Texas teams versus a team from Virginia and a team from Ohio. Which teams should have been more acclimated to the heat? <laughs> the Texas teams should have been more acclimated to the heat. And Seb Gorsny just got taken out. I mean, this is this is my tangent here. Look, Alex Bernard and Seb Gorsny. Seb Gorsny should not be losing that match. Alex Bernard is an absolute dog fight. And outdoors, he is going to battle you anywhere. And it this is so this is where I go with this. I watched Gruskin, and you're going to appreciate this. I watched the Gil Gross mailbag. <laughs> Gil was asked how he would fare in a tennis match with you. <laughs> you are the bigger man in this discussion, Gruskin. And Gil tried to use the, well, if I'm in shape and I have fitness, <laughs> Gil, I don't know where you're coming from. The little guy always wins the fitness argument. Always. <laughs> you should be out fitnessing Gruskin, just like Alex Bernard out fitness Seb Gorsley <laughs> in that match. There is zero discussion here. And that's that that's my tangent for you, Gruskin. Uh but yeah, I that's good. <laughs> that was a that was a you know they just got they got taken to them. It could have been just a like they were worn out from the long match the day before whatever but that you know both of the texas teams got taken down in the heat there luckily this year we're talking oklahoma which probably won't be florida hot uh so so maybe that's a, a different discussion but yeah look gorsney at four you're right i mean it's a it's a joke he should uh, but he played five last year right but uh, he's got a year under his belt and now there he should he should be putting up those crazy, you know, 21 and three, 20 and two, whatever type numbers at that spot. Yeah. I mean, great tangent. Let the record show. Um, if anyone needs me to be their Pat Echeverry and come down and be the fitness coach, most of you head coaches have my number. I am typically in shape. Um, 
even in the heat. Although, you know what my thing is, is I know if it's over 80 degrees out, the moment I step out of the door, my back's going to start sweating. So I'm always hydrating, Chris. I'm a three water bottle a night guy, even if it requires two trips to the bathroom that disrupt my sleep cycle because hydration is key. Anyways... That's well, not going to play well when you get older. I'm just telling you. Oh, yes. Yeah, two is going to turn. No, no, no. I'm getting. I'm. Ge- I'm getting warmed up for that now, Chris. Is exactly. I'm just like. I'm as I'm just. I'm just preparing myself for a lifetime of those 3 a.m. trips. Um, actually, I'd be lying if I said it was 3 a.m. because usually that's when I'm going to bed. So it's usually like the 6:30 a.m. trip when most people are waking up. That's the first bathroom trip. Anyways, there's enough talk on that for me. Um, there's our opening tangent, Chris. Um, Seb Gorsi went 17 and two. And you're asking him to play one spot higher in the lineup, a spot that I have no doubt he will be more than capable of not only playing, but succeeding at uh, throughout the course of the season. He needs to do that again at the number four spot. Like, who's ever, or if it's not him, who's ever fourth. Yeah, we might, we might find out that he's there two or three. Yeah. hundred percent. Whoever is the fourth of the Fernley, JPJ, Vivez, Gorsny, Quad, whomever fourth is of that group, they need to be the best of that group record-wise. They should be the best of that group record-wise. And by the way, like, that guy's playing Dietrich or Dahlberg or Kiefer. Like, that's a must-win in that Virginia match. That guy is playing who the f*** knows for Ohio State in that lineup. But, like, I think that's yeah, where— same, you know, same with Texas. Yeah, One of ex- the Baileys. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not even going to try and speculate on those. But, like— that's a must win, like in both of those spots, because I was going to say there's going to be the more experienced player. Honestly, I don't know if he's going to be the more experienced player. Like, could be Tracy at four. Um, could be, though, his fellow sophomores, Bernard and Anthrop at four. And it's like, that's, you know, again, one you got to have probably if you're TCU. It's that number four spot. They got to be elite of the elite at that number four singles position, because again, like, they're going to be really good everywhere else. That comparatively to other teams, I think, that they have that clear-cut top four and one of those guys has to be fourth. It reminds me of like Jameer Jenkins at four on that 2011 Virginia team where it was just like, what? Like, Jameer is four? Are you serious? Um, and it's just like one of those instances where I'll never forget Michael Shabazz in the post-match press conference after they beat Stanford where he's going, he's like racking his head. He's going, I'm going to be honest. We got four guys you could play number one. He's like, it's not just me, Damajan, and Sanam Singh who had all been ranked number one in the country at that point. He's like, if you don't think Jameer could play number one, you don't have eyes. And on 95% of teams, the chosen one, Seb Gorsny, would be playing number one. And he's not going to be on this team. He, again, someone's got to be number four on this roster. I'm going to go with that number four spot as the MVP. Now, again, the good news about a TCU team is you know we're always going to see them tested. And certainly uh, you look at the schedule. Coach Rodini's put together a nice one. Now they're going to be heavy favorites to advance to the national indoors. They've got Tulsa. They've got Princeton. They've got Rice coming to town. I'd be shocked if they dropped more than one point over the course of kickoff weekend. But how about the matches in between kickoff weekend and the start of the indoors, Chris? Stanford in Fort Worth. Tennessee and Fort Worth, by the way, that's over the course of one weekend. Then they've got a trip to Ann Arbor to take on the Michigan Wolverines. After that, they've got a doubleheader versus Texas on the schedule. They've got a doubleheader versus Baylor on the schedule. They've got at UCLA, at USC, at Pepperdine as their spring break mid-March trip. And just listen to this seven-day stretch, eight-day stretch of matches. Sunday, March 10th versus Baylor at home. Wednesday, March 13th, 
at UCLA, a UCLA that, by the way, is probably going to have Govananda on the roster. That's a heck of a squad. Then they're at USC March 15th, at Pepperdine March 17th. If we don't know exactly who this team is by spring break, then something has gone wrong. Then something's not paying attention or someone has gotten injured down the season's home stretch. But even before then, Chris, if you're asking me for inflection point, Stanford, Tennessee, at home, first weekend of February, we will learn a lot about these Horned Frogs awfully quick. Yeah, that's going to be two great matches right right out of the gate. Uh, I don't... I do not expect them to get pushed in the least in their kickoff weekend that they're hosting. Uh, they get Rice and then the winner of Tulsa and Princeton. I think they should come out of that just fine. Only one match before then. So, yeah, then those are their next two matches. Uh, you know, Stanford, Tennessee, and then they get uh, Michigan and then indoors. So, yeah, that's that's going to be a, a a big stretch for them to know and probably help them figure out who's exactly who's playing where uh, in the lineup for indoors when, when that comes around in, in mid February uh, and then a nice break for a couple weeks there after indoors, before they start right up with Texas and Texas Baylor, UCLA, that's, ooh, that's a big, big stretch. And then, and, and at USC after that. So yeah, that's uh it's definitely, but that's what you want to do when you, when you've got a roster full of experienced guys, you give them a schedule. That's all really good teams because they don't, they, they, these guys do not need to go out and play double headers against, you know, whoever the schools are that you would schedule double headers against down in that area. There's no need for that for them. They just need good, solid matches to give them experience that they know, you know, they know they're going to win, you know, those matches. They just got to get the guys playing time against quality compo- opponents. You know, if you want to be a, if you want to see the best competition year in, year out, you know what school you should actually go and play for? Abilene Christian, who is on, I made a joke about them in the Texas A&M podcast on the women's side with Jay and Jay goes, Ooh, shots fired. Well, yeah, uh, they want to play like, Texas Baylor, Texas A&M, TCU. I have, I have the most respect for the Abilene Christian programs. You know, again, that's like tip of the cap. Like they do it for real. Like one of these years, Abilene's going to beat one of the Texas schools and we're going to do an emergency pod for that moment, Chris, because it will have been well-deserved. But yeah, I only see them on the schedule once for TCU this year. Again, that's the only cupcake, everything else they've got. You know, again, the They've got SMU. I actually like that SMU match a lot on April 11th. That's a fun late season non-conference. But BYU, UCF, obviously now new additions to the Big 12 as well. So, again, it's a real schedule. We're going to know just how good these Horned Frogs are come postseason play. That said, final question for you, Chris. Ceiling, floor of this TCU roster. I think we've been pretty clear about that. Maybe not to the degree that they had them last year. But this is still a team that very much expects themselves to be in the national championship. Hunt, yeah, absolutely. right. I do wonder if you ask Coach Roditi, do you think he'd say we are tier one? Like there's no gap between us in the top three. Do you think he'd say eh, tier one and a half? What are you thinking as we put that final bow on that conversation? Yeah, I think he'd probably give you that. Uh, let's see how. And I don't know whether it's going to be a let's see how healthy X is because they need all six of them and maybe, and I don't know the status of, you know, is everybody completely healthy or, or is it going to be a, 
uh, let's see how, you know, Tomas is playing at six. I think he's going to have one little question mark in him that goes, eh, let's see if we're firing, we're absolutely tier one. But yeah, we got a couple questions to answer to make to make sure that that's where we're at. And But absolutely, that's the ceiling. I mean, the ceiling is one. They can win a national championship. Uh, when you roll those those top four guys out, you can win a national championship right there. Uh, so, so that's the ceiling. I think, you know, the floor for these guys, honestly, if they're lower than like six, it's going to be a shock. I I just, all of these top four that we've called the tier one, they should be top five teams. It's going to be really hard. Yeah. Maybe we get one surprise school to jump up and get in the mix somewhere but that's that's it. These are these these schools that we're about to talk about, starting with TCU, are the top four teams unequivocally, and them getting down anywhere below six is going to be something to talk about. It's going to be fascinating to watch them again compete, and you know, again, top four, pretty uh, top four, you'd say pretty clear cut expectations, right? Be a top eight seed, host the first three rounds of the NCAA tournament, find yourself in the mix competing for a national championship, and just ask Virginia these last two years. If you get to the final dance, doesn't matter what the predictions, the prognostications were beforehand, you will find yourself with an opportunity to compete for a national championship again. Nine straight years. Nine straight seasons this TCU program has elevated itself to top 10 status uh, on the rise to becoming, dare I say, a modern-day blue blood that we have in college tennis. Your preseason number four entering the 2024 season, the TCU Horn Frogs. With that said, Chris Alioris, three teams left to go. I'm amped. These are going to be some fun debates down the home stretch, and obviously I'm looking forward to them with you. I will say we're all wondering, collegetennisranks.com, is it back up and running? What can we expect from you with the turn to the new year? Yeah, it'll probably, I mean, it, about the same story every year. We'll get the schedules. We, we try to get things going by kickoff weekend, so we'll get the schedules for all the schools up. Computer rankings, right, don't even start until after indoors. So we just want to have everything kind of up and rolling right around kickoff weekend time with some good coverage for kickoff weekend. We'll try to get a a live scoreboard up. Uh, it, we we kind of rolled out last year the live scoreboard for NCAA. So hopefully we can get something up that that uh, that has a live scoreboard. If if and I don't even know. I've not talked yet uh, to our you know our friends over at the Slam Tennis World that usually do have something going for kickoff weekend. I have no idea if that's going to be the case this year. If not, we'll certainly put something up. But but yeah, the site, uh, over the next three weeks, we should start seeing. I've already gone out and and done uh, done roster updates on everybody and pulled some new UTRs. And so things start getting rolling right about now. That's what I love to hear. And for what it's worth, we will also have our typical Crack Rackets broadcast on ITA kickoff weekend. Now, will we have all 30 schools as is our goal? I certainly hope so. Uh, for now, I think our number is we've had eight sign up thus far. At least that was what the number was when I last spoke with Dalton. But, you know, with the changing of the new year, everyone's going to check their emails, and hopefully we can get that number up to 30. That said, in the meantime, if you've missed any of our coverage from this 2024 offseason, be sure, 2023 offseason, excuse me, be sure to just scroll down 
in your Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, a shout-out and thank you, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A thank you to you as well, Chris Helioris. Despite it being the holiday season, day in, day out, it can be 9 p.m., it can be 9 a.m., it can be 3 p.m., you are always down to record. And for that, I am always thankful. With that said, though, I got to go watch some national semifinal college football. So... For the fantastic Chris Hallioris, our super producer Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.